sacred reading for today is Romans 3, verse 19 to 28, page 144 of the New Testament section of your Bible. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in his sight by deeds prescribed by the law, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed, and is attested by the law and the prophets, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous, and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, but by the faith, the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. So, uh, one series that we've been on has stopped, that started in August, and that is in the lectionary, the Exodus story, um, tracking the journey out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, headed towards, but very complicated journey, toward the promised land. We track that along with Matthew's uh, gospel readings, taking us through his many examples descriptions of what the kingdom of heaven could be compared to, what it was like. Um, and often you might say that kingdom of heaven description from Matthew is really the Christian, a Christian description of the promised land, where we're headed on our journey, out of our own bondage, out of our own slavery. Well, the lectionary has broken us out of that. Um, and we don't have that today. And therefore, we had a shorter reading today instead of two long ones that we've been doing for a while. But keep in mind that the reading that Ginny read from Romans, this is the central reading for Martin Luther uh, when uh, he was one of those leaders in the Reformation. So it's, it's a very critical reading for Martin Luther, and that's why it's in our lectionary today. And we'll come back to that in just a few minutes. Now, the series that we're continuing and that we're in our fourth week on is, um, is the series of uh, Please God, Who's Right? Um, and today, focusing on the clash of the churches. Reformation Sunday, a time of talking about what's happening in all the different churches and denominations and all of that sort of thing. One of the things I wanted to be clear about in terms of this series 
is the purpose of this series is not please God who's right, so now by the time we get to the end of it, on every concern we've had, we now know we have the right answer. In fact, the series is much more reflective of the fact that we live in a time where there is constant strife and tension between people thinking they're right over here and these people thinking they're right over here and being total opposites and clashing sometimes with words, sometimes over social media, sometimes in actual violence, but clearly in a disdain that often happens that separates us more from each other uh, in this big human community that we have. So I'm more exploring what's happening in that dynamic. So if you were hoping to end this series with all the, the right answers, you're probably going to be a little disappointed. So sorry about that. But that series does continue today as we look back 500 years at the Reformation um, and as we consider uh, what kind of reforming may need to be happening um, amidst our churches today. So it was in 1517. Now, 1517, when Martin Luther put the 95 Theses up on the church door, and if you come, we'll go into more depth on this on, on Wednesday as we look at Rick Steves' Luther and the Reformation documentary, which I think is really tight and concise and, and really helpful, and I really enjoyed it. He's entertaining anyway. Um, and there's some beautiful pictures of cathedrals in it too, which is great, in Europe. Um, but when Luther put those up, um, he did not really know what he was unleashing. He was upset because in his depths of his conscience, he really believed the Roman Catholic Church, of which he was a priest and a monk in, he really believed that it had gotten itself corrupted. It had forgotten who it was. Who it, was. it was creating things in his mind, like purgatory, which was an intermediate place, if you grew up Catholic, you've heard this, an intermediate place that, that you would go to in God's mercy if you weren't quite ready for heaven when you died. And then within the church structure, all of these ways to knock down the number of days that you needed to be in purgatory, uh, revolving around what they called indulgences, and revolving, frankly, around paying money. Okay? Paying money to the church and then, oh, that knocked five days off, you know. And Luther saw this incredible corruption and he also saw uh, the institution of the church that he loved as um, forgetting the source of everything in Jesus Christ, of which for Luther meant starting with the Bible. And looking at that closely and saying, does the Bible speak about this? Does the Bible talk about purgatory? Does the Bible talk about indulgences? And he wasn't the kind of literalist or fundamentalist today that you see out there in some Christian churches. But he was one to say, this has got to be one of our starting points. If it's not there, we've got to figure out if it's something true. Why is it not there? You know, We can't just dismiss it. We can't just go from there. Um, and so Luther 
uh, was serious about wanting to reform the church, and he wanted to stay a priest of the Roman Catholic Church till the day he died. But there was power going on. Because the other thing that he was upset about was in the Middle Ages, the church got itself wedded with the kingdoms, with the nations. And basically there were power deals made between popes and bishops and the kings and princesses in the geographies where they lived in Europe. Um, and they kind of... Uh, Help each other stay in power and stay in privilege and do all of those sort of things. Um, and uh, Luther saw this as a very corrupt thing too, of the church, the church not speaking to the kings and the princesses about what Jesus Christ said, but actually colluding with the kings and princesses um, in what they did to keep control. Because at the time, the church had pretty much absolute control over the religious life of all the people who were Catholics. And the kings and the princesses had complete control over how everybody lived uh, in their secular lives in the world. Um, there was not the kind of freedoms that we talk about today. And so they worked together to keep the class system of who was on top and who was on the bottom, everything kept intact. And to Luther, this was just horrible. Now, what turned out had to happen was that Luther was very deeply concerned about the church. He spent all of his time thinking about the church. He never gave a thought to what was happening with the kings and princesses. He really didn't care about that. He just didn't want the church to be colluding. He thought that was corrupt. But he had no issue with the nobility keeping the peasants down. He had no issue with that at all. He did have an issue in the church with the Bible being controlled high up in the church. And the people being told, you don't need to read it. We'll just tell you what it says. If you tour through Europe, maybe some of you have done this and been in some of the great cathedrals and basilicas and seen some of the amazing stained glass windows. You know, most hardly anybody read. So that was how they taught them. They taught them what to be afraid of and what to understand about God. They taught them about heaven and hell in those windows. They taught them the things that would make sure that everybody stayed in line with how they were supposed to live and how they were supposed to prepare themselves for heaven. And that was a big thing to prepare themselves for because the vast, vast, vast majority of people were peasants and hardly had a life. And hoping for something beyond that was better, that was worth working for, was very important to them. So Luther didn't have any sense that there was this connection, this deep connection. He didn't really pay attention to it between the church structuring in life and the secular powers and structuring in life. But the people had that sense. So going back just a little bit, it was the year 1440 when the printing press was invented. 
And one of the first things off that printing press, named after the inventor Gutenberg, was the Bible. Luther comes along less than 100 years later. He's born 40-some years later. Okay? He tacks these theses up on the church door um, just 50, 67, oh, hold it, do my math here, 77 years later after, after the printing press. By the time he tacks these up, he knows, and people know, there have already been people trying to do this who were printing the Bibles and trying to even translate them um, into languages that people could read it for themselves. Can you imagine? Forever before that, the powers in the church were the ones who told you what was in the Bible because you couldn't read it for yourself. And now everybody's reading it for themselves. And Luther comes along and encourages people. Don't listen to the popes and the bishops. Read it for yourself. Let Christ speak to you in these scriptures. Gutenberg began the revolution by giving power to individual people. Luther began a revolution. There were other reformers that came out around him all over Europe began a revolution in the church world saying yes, yes you have power in your own faith God speaks to you through the scriptures in other ways not, not just through popes and bishops we maybe can't imagine that today but that was revolutionary for the time but as the people stopped paying the indulgences and the church began to lose a key income source as they were listening to Luther and other reformers, the church powers fought back because they were losing their powers. And that's what got Luther in trouble. That's what got him exiled from the church. Basically, he was called a heretic and by the church rules of the time, if somebody murdered him, that would not even be a problem. Pretty courageous what Martin Luther did. But what he didn't understand, and what we don't always understand, is that he unleashed a revolution in all of society. And so the peasants began to revolt against the nobility. And you know what? Luther didn't understand that. He got mad. He said, no, that's not what this Reformation is about. Stop that. This has nothing to do with that. But it began a time of hundreds of years of reforming all of society. And we could go through a whole history lesson of what that has meant that has brought us to this day. We celebrate really two things out of this today. We celebrate that even among revolutionaries like Martin Luther, um, they're just trying to live by their conscience. They don't even know what they're unleashing. They don't even understand the full scope of it all. So that's one thing. The other thing is, we understand that that's not the last reformation for all times. 
we understand that there's other moments in history where fundamentally everything that has underpinned what we know and do has to be restructured because things have changed enough that it just isn't working the way it used to work. Now there's many who believe that we're in one of those times now. We're in a steep decline, not so much in people's spiritual urgings and desire to understand God or even Christ, but in all the institutional structurings of how it's been put together and how it's been communicated and how it's been lived out. We may be in the crazy period of the beginnings of a new reformation. And I, for years, have not, and if you remember all the Reformation Sundays in my years here, this would be my ninth Reformation Sunday that I've been here, I think maybe I've spoken about the Reformation twice, maybe. Why? Because the Reformation, in its literal terms, is about the beginning of the Protestants, the protesters. The problem is, Protestant denominations are not the protesters anymore. They became part of the mainstream. They became part of the power structure. In this country, in the last hundred years, it was Protestants who were running the towns and had the powers. We're not. We have not been for a long time the protesters. We've been the central privileged people in the middle of it all. And of course, in the midst of what Luther unleashed, look, look what has happened. I should have brought my stats. How many Protestant denominations are there? Have we figured out how to reform this whole thing yet? And have we gotten us to any better place than whether the Roman Catholic Church has taken people in faith and in this world? I think we are like that Exodus story that we've been tracking. It's a long, complicated journey. But in the journey, it's important that we pay attention to where we are in the journey. It's important that we not just pay attention to what do I need God for me today, but what are the times we live in? What are the signs of our times? What is brewing in our midst that we need to pay attention to? And if it's as big as the Reformation, do we have the eyes to see it? Do we have the courage to be part of it? Because it's going to mean breaking out of our assumptions. It's going to mean doing things in a way that we haven't done them before. Like going back singing a song in its original uh, weird rhythm. Um, it's going to mean things like that. Now... I take all this church stuff really seriously. You know, 
when my wife and I came into the United Church of Christ, some of you have heard this from me before, it was back in 1990, and we were in Olympia at United Churches of Olympia, which still to this day is a federated church of Presbyterian and UCC. And the way they're set up there is when you join the church, you make a decision whether you're joining through the Presbyterian door or the UCC door. And at the time, they had two pastors there. One was Presbyterian and one was UCC. Individually, I took them both out to lunch and I grilled them about their denominations for two hours. And they came back shaking their heads saying, it's only a denomination and we just got grilled like we were on trial. What's, what's, what's Jim doing to us? But I was looking for a new home to be and a new structure to be in. And I found the UCC through that process, even if I bothered those pastors a little too much. Um, but you know, the UCC is not the answer. We're still on the journey. We're still headed somewhere. Yeah, we talk, we, we say those nice statements at the beginning about how we're trying to welcome everybody seriously. We're trying to be less judgmental than many of the church denominations. We have our own critiques like Martin Luther had of what's been the problem with too many churches, don't we? You know? But just because we can diagnose the problem over there doesn't mean we can live the answer here. We have to be open to a new reformation in our own lives, in our own church. A new breaking forth a new way of being faithful for a new time that has new demands. And of course, as we do that, it will scare us. As we do that, we will be derided by others at times. We'll be told by others we're the best thing that ever came along, and that won't be true either. So we have to be careful not to believe that either. But it is a question of what kind of journey we're on. Who are we and who are we becoming? And what's going on in this day and age and these troubled times? I do wonder how Martin Luther and the Reformers would look at us today. And what they would ask and what they would wonder. So let me just say some closing remarks that connect to this favorite passage, central forming passage in Scripture for Luther, and see what it might say for us for a new day and a new time. So now we know that whatever the law says, here's the law, list the laws, start with Leviticus and move on from there. It speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world may be held accountable to God. So Paul is calling us to be accountable to God. For no human being will be justified in God's sight by deeds, by anything that you do that is prescribed by the law. So here's the law. You do something, act that follows the law, 
You're not going to be justified in God's sight. You're not going to be approved in God's sight just because you did that. Pretty revolutionary idea. Four, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So once we know, you know, if you read through a set of laws, you say, oh gosh, you know, I didn't obey that one, I didn't obey that one, I didn't do that one. You become aware of mistakes, sins, whatever you want to call them that you may have made. But now, Paul says, apart from the law, so let's leave that over there, the law, the righteousness, and remember that also means the justice of God has been disclosed and is attested to by the law, but also by the prophets. The prophets speak very differently than the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, not through the deeds following the law, but the righteousness comes through faith in Jesus Christ, through being a follower, for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are now justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's something very UCC. There is no distinction. Now I do have to tell you, I have a story today. Maybe this happened, maybe God intervened so I'd have this story. There was a distinction for me today because of who I am, but there shouldn't have been. All right, I left home a little late today, okay? And I said, gosh, I better push this. I've got to get up there. And um, I was coming through Chihuahua and just coming out of Chihuahua. And, you know, speed limit is 25, right, in Chihuahua? I think I was going 35, and then I see a couple cops on the left side of the road just as I'm just coming out of, on the edge, of the north edge of the city. And I slow down quickly. And then I pass them. And I'm looking in my rearview mirror and one of them comes out. His lights are on. He comes up behind me. He pulls me over. So now I'm going to even be later. Um, and uh, that's why I didn't come down and say hi, Tice, when I first got here. I was late. But... Um, so he asked me some questions, you know, got all the documents, he asked me some questions, where I was going and all this. And so what do you do in Colville? You got family there you're visiting, or do you live there? And, no, no, I pastor a church there. And you come up every week, he said, from Spokane to, to pastor this church? I said, well, sometimes that's what's needed, you know, you do what's needed. And he said, hmm, okay, I'll be right back. And he comes back and he says, well... Just remember, we've had some deaths in this area on the highway the last couple of years, and really just ask you to just be more careful as you're coming through town and, uh, and pay attention a little bit more. And I said, okay, sure, yeah, I can do that. And he hands me all my documents back and says, have a good day. Now, do you think if I wasn't a, a white pastor, you think I would have gotten a ticket? I think I would have. And I should have. But I'm glad I didn't. So, but see, in Christ, there is no distinctions made like that. No, none of that privilege comes. 
We're all privileged, frankly. So, all justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. That's all sermon itself. We'll do that another day. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. A merciful God, who as we go on this long journey, this Exodus story of our lives, desires us to be successful and get there, and is willing to look past a lot of stuff on the way to help us. So then what becomes a boasting? We can boast of this now. I could boast of not getting the ticket. It is excluded. You can't boast. By what law? By that of works? No, but by the law of faith. When you live in that faith, there is no boasting. And this is the line that Luther loved that this is leading up to. For we hold that a person is justified in their life, justified by faith apart from works. Apart from the works that are prescribed by the law. We still live in too much of a world where we judge people, rightness or wrongness, by whether they're following this rule or that law. And the call of the greatest commandment, the call of being a follower of Jesus, is that our judgment really, and our justification, if you want to use this language, really comes from how we learn to live in faith, in understanding of this world that we're in, understanding what this creation and this creator God is all about, understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and understanding what it means to be in a relationship of love with one another, where we don't see a distinction, but we see a possibility of deeper connection and deeper love. When we go back to Paul, we see we need a new reformation, don't we? So we celebrate Luther and we thank him for his courage. Even though his vision was limited, we are grateful for what he unleashed. And we look around today, maybe at ourselves, maybe at what we do here in this United Church of Christ congregation just within the city of Colville, and we say, Oh God, help us in faith to respond to the times that we live in with all the courage of Martin Luther and the Reformers and all the hope that comes in being a follower of Jesus.